you, Father, for your promises. Thank you, Father, for the week that we all have had. To... Thank you for your angels being with us. Thank you for your angels destroying all the works of the enemy. As we bow to listen to what you have prepared for us today, I pray, Father, that you'll open our hearts, that you will block any distractions, any works of the enemy that is trying to derail us. I come against all the works of the enemy that are trying to attack us tonight. As we have some people in the hospital and some on the road, I pray, Father, that you will be with all of them, that the revived family will be taken care of, that they will all come back safe and that the doctors will be with them and the surgeries will be successful. I come against every idea that has been planted by the enemy about who we are. We are the righteousness of God. And your promises are yes and amen. And I just thank you, Father, for tonight and for the word that I'm about to share. And afterwards, when we go to hang out, I just pray, Father, that you'll be with us the whole time. There'll be no injuries. There'll be no bad blood. But we'll all be glorifying to you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Hey, y'all. Uh, thank you, as always. Is it Kendall? Carly. Is that Kendall there? Okay, never mind. I thought I was emailing one of y'all. Forget what? That just didn't happen. <laughs> they got it. They got one. <laughs> but let me see. There's one couple, couple new faces here. So I will kind of, because when Ben was here introducing us, you know, when I hear, but he was talking about, actually he was talking about outreach that is coming on Sunday, but talk to, raise your hand. If you're interested, he's the guy to talk to. But the other thing that he did talk about was our vision. And you will see going through this, the screen after service or before service. And I just want to remind you that our vision is to bring the true revelation of God to the Rockies and to our generation. And that means getting in the Word and getting to know Him. So everything that we're doing, the outreaches, the messages that you'll hear, it's for that purpose, to get, bring the true revelation of God. And when, I, when we started younger, because this is almost, what, two months now? Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, uh, the message, or the series that God gave me was... Uh, the foundations, godly foundations of a believer. Because that is kind of how we can bring the true revelation if we have properly found it. And the vision that he gave me, he gave me this when I was in college, but he reminded me of it. I was standing at a construction site, and so I was standing on the edge like this, and there was a huge hole, and I knew they were building, or digging, I should say, the foundation of the skyscraper they're about to build. And what the Lord told me was, the deeper you go will determine how high you go. And our highs, obviously, is to see the miracles of Christ, to see the uh, God can come through either physical, physical miracles or financial miracles or whatever, however God comes through. That's the highs. But the lows is what we're doing tonight, and we'll do for as long as we exist, getting the word. Not the lows, the digging deep, there we go. That's not a low. <laughs> the, the digging of the uh, or setting of the foundation is what we're doing. 
And so in this series, I've been saying this for a while, I will speak on hearing God's voice, but apparently I don't have control of my messages because every time I sit down to prepare, God is like, now let's talk about this. And as you see on the screen, that's what we're going to talk about today. The blood of Jesus is my victory. But that's not, I just found that on Google. I couldn't take the bottom part out, so I just left that out. But we're just talking about the blood of Jesus. Uh, And last week, it is true. Last week, we were talking about uh, communing with God, and I was talking about the covenants. And it makes sense after talking about the covenants to go and talk about the blood of Jesus, or just blood in general, because when it comes to covenants, most of them in the Old Testament, well, let me see, I'll just rehash some of that last week. So some of the major things I said last week was there's six major covenants in the Bible. You have uh, Adam's covenant, you have, if I remember, you have a uh, yeah, Noah's first, and then Abraham, and then David, and then the one we're in today, the covenant of salvation. Moses, yes, there's that too. And all those six covenants, they, all covenants have three parts. You have the promises, you have the conditions, and you have the uh, seal. And last week we talked about Adam's, not Adam's, Abraham's covenant. His covenant, the promises were in Genesis chapter 12, from verse 1 to 3. And pretty much, I will bless those who bless you, all those blessings. The conditions, you'll see throughout, but we looked at the one in Genesis 18 that he will teach his kids righteousness. He will walk in my ways. I can't remember exactly, but those were the conditions. And the seal was circumcision. And, and obviously, blood was part of that because when you cut a piece of body, blood comes out. And so this week, we're just going to focus on the blood of Jesus and specifically, oh, I don't know, bigger context, the, uh, covenant of, the covenant of salvation or the covenant of grace, got many different names. So to start off, and for the, oh my bad, for the new people, uh, I read the verses that I like and then y'all read the other verses. Oh. <laughs> and to, obviously. Uh, so to start us off, I'll read the first one so that we get the ball rolling. So go with me to Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. Oh, this one, I be, it's a new King James. And oh, let me get some water. Leviticus 17:11. Actually, from verse 10 to 12. My bad. And whatever man of the house of Israel, all the strangers who dwell among you, who eats any blood. Hold on, let me start that over. I have an accent. So I might say some words that would not make sense to any of you. Just nod along, okay? And whoever... And whatever man of the house of Israel, all of the strangers who dwell among you, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to, I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore, I say to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. And the, verse, the main verse that I want you to see is verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. That's why blood is so sacred. And for those who know anything about the demonic, blood is sacred there too. And because, as we'll see as we go on, blood has value. And as verse 11 tells us, the, the, life, of, the life of the flesh is in the blood. There we go. And... If you know anything about gang culture, there's always this phrase, blood in, blood out. 
Because when the, when the moment they indict you, they, there's some sort of ceremony, and the only way to get out of that is when you die. And actually, I want to. I saw this interview. I love uh, the gang culture, and there's this guy called Michael Franzes. He's like I think he's the the only. Live, I don't know if he's the only, but one of the last living underbosses of the mafia from the 70s. And now he's a believer, which is cool, because he gets to share all these stories of how he was. And he told the story on how he got uh, inducted into the family. And what happened was, so he, the, six of them walk into this room, dark room, and there's like, people sitting in a shoe horse kind of formation. And the boss is obviously in the middle. And then you have the captains, you have the, the, the I believe the term, you pronounce it conciliage. That's like the counselor. He's the one who kind of advises the what? Yeah, something like that. He's the one who advises the boss or whatever. And then you have the, uh, and he goes down in rank. So he walks, he walked in, into this middle of this horseshoe, and then the boss stood up, and the boss came, cut his, his I think he's, he didn't specify which finger, but he cut his finger, and blood dripped down, and then he cupped his finger, so there was still blood in his hand. And the boss took uh, the picture of a saint, if I believe, and burned it and put it in his hand. And then the boss read this to him. Michael Frances, you have been born again into a new life. And then they have a name of their life. Violate what you know about us, betray your brothers, and you will burn in hell like the saint burning in your hand. And it was a blood oath that he took. And that shows you the, the power of the blood. They understand that blood is critical. And that's what you see in the Old Testament and all the other covenants. Blood is used because blood is a, that's a final seal. And from last week, if y'all remember, we, I explained the covenant. It's kind of like a contract, but it has a deeper meaning to it. It's life or death. There's no, I don't want to do this, so I'm not going to do it kind of thing. It's either you do it or you die. And so let us look at the origin of blood. Where did blood come from? And if you remember, you don't have to turn there. When, do we? No, we don't. Yeah, I guess not yet. Uh, when God formed the man, he Built, formed him out of the dust, and then he blew into him the spirit of life, the breath of life. And when he blew into him, we only talk about the spirit side, that this, the, and man, then man became a speaking spirit. But what we don't talk about is the blood that was started flowing in his body. And blood originated from God. That's why it's so sacred, and that's why the demonic and all these other worlds crave the blood. And if, remember, we looked at, I don't remember what we looked at, but... Uh, the, one of the reasons why God kicked out Israel or Judah from the promised land is because of all the sacrifices. And I believe Manasseh was the, one of the last kings. And what he did, he sacrificed his son and a bunch of other people. And after he did all those things, you'll see, even after, I think Josiah was the next good king, he would do, he would do right, but God said, we, you will live with no consequences, but your generation after you will suffer because of what your dad did, because he sacrificed and all that blood that was spilt. And I think I did, we looked at Abel, Abel's blood. No, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. So just erase that. But anyway, I think I've caught you up. What? <laughs> I think I've caught you all up. So let us look at blood in the fall. Look at, go with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. And... Uh, Anybody can read this one, Genesis 3.21. So that is right after the fall. The first thing that God did, 
he went and covered them with the skin. So an animal was slaughtered for him to get skin. And that was the first time we saw blood being a redeeming uh, quality. Wait, that's not how you say it. That's the first time we saw God use blood to cover our sins. When he covered them with that skin, it was foreshadowing what was to come. Now, go with me to... Actually, I do. Okay, I already... Second Kings, I found the verse that I was talking about earlier. Second Kings chapter 24. And this is the part that I told you about the king, Manasseh, who... All right, you'll see. Second Kings chapter 24 from verse 3 to 4. And then the Abel verse is in Hebrews 12, 24. I'll read this one. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than the things of Abel. So... We just saw in Second Kings, and I'm just going to repeat this since it's in my notes. Uh, Manasseh killed, and the backstory: he was a king. And the interesting part, Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah, and he just completely went off the rails. And because I was, my dad was a pastor, and so I was born in the ministry. And when I was coming up as a pastor's kid, everybody assumes you're going to be a pastor. In my case, it kind of seems like that's the case. But not generally. And your case, too, I guess it kind of seems to be you're following your dad's footsteps. But Manasseh here, his dad was Hezekiah, one of the greatest kings of Israel, who was committed to the Lord. But he completely went off the rail. Now, at the end of his life, he comes back and all those things. But for the majority of his life, he's a terrible king. He does all these animal sacrifices, and not just animal, but people sacrifices. And it's because we are in that age group where we about to be parents, or some of us are already parents, and we need to start thinking about that. How do you raise a child properly so that they can follow and walk with God like you are? <laughs> but anyway, just food for thought. But also, actually, even if I get off that, his son, on the other hand, Manasseh's son, was Josiah. Yeah, he was Josiah, and he was one of the good kings. So just this is what I, I guess my point. Only way you can tell how your kids will end up is by praying for them a lot. Because my mom prayed for me a lot, and I was a bad kid. A lot, a lot, a lot. And that is the only sure way that we can all guarantee that our seed, because now this is, we're just going to a little rabbit trail right here. If you look, God, this is how, every time God speaks, it's always in terms of your children's children or the fourth generation. He's always thinking ahead. He's never just talking to you. And even in, uh, when you look at uh, Abraham in the book of Hebrews, when uh, the writer is talking about when Abraham was tithing, he, didn't, he talks about Abraham tithing and the fruit of his loins tithing with him because that is how God thinks. He's always thinking generationally, and I will encourage all of us to be thinking that. Right now, we are all young. We are all single. No, maybe not, not y'all, except them. All of us are single. I don't know that for sure. But anyway, most of us are single. Oh, young, dating somebody. Start thinking generationally. So the things you do now, believe it or not, impacts your generation that comes after you. So we have to start being people of prayer now. And then when the kids come, we teach them. The, so the kingdom of heaven, we always think about uh, the, uh, as a, a place is heaven. But the kingdom of heaven is actually the culture of heaven. And we start that developing that culture right now. And then when the kids come, the, the culture is already built. We, we don't have to fake it. It's all real. 
And that's one of the reasons kids always walk away from the faith when they see you being fake. But when it's real, they're not going to, they know it's authentic. And at least even if they veer away, that's why I believe it's in Proverbs. Teach a child on how we should go, and when he gets older, he will not depart from it. And you cannot teach a child how they should go if you yourself don't know how you should go. So anyway, that was a little rabbit trail. But let us proceed here. Let us go to Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. That's another verse that talks about, yeah, 4.10, Genesis 4.10. Yeah. Thank you. Now, what that, that verse, the verse about Abel's blood speaking, tells you one thing. The, your blood speaks because life speaks for itself. You know how there's this Christian phrase, maybe not a phrase, but this Christian thing. Don't tell me about your religion. Show me your religion. I know it's a Christian thing, but it's, in the, it's out there in the world. And that's what, kind of, that's what the blood is. Your blood speaks. The blood of animals speak covenant. The blood of Abel, or not covenant, for atonement. The blood of Abel was crying justice. The blood of Jesus cries mercy. And that's why the blood is important because, what? Oh, my bad. <laughs> so that's one of the importance of blood. The blood will always tell you, what, just like your life, it will always tell you where you stand with God. Let us now, I want to comp- uh, go to Exodus. This is a lot of reading, so we don't have to read all that. Just maybe write it down somewhere. We don't really need to do that. Exodus chapter 24. You'll read it, you said? Okay. Uh, Exodus 24 from verse 1 to 8. Thanks. Now, the reason why we read that, I just wanted you to see. Here you go. Okay. Uh, what would you see there? That's when the, the covenant of Moses or the Mosaic covenant or the book of the law, all kinds of names. But it's the same thing. That's when it was sealed. And what I wanted you to see is how blood was used. Blood was shed on the people and they acknowledge all the things that you've said about the law will do. So, and that's, so I'm going to just repeat this. The, the seal is right there. The promises is everything pre-Exodus 20, in Exodus 23 and actually all the book of Deuteronomy. You'll see all the uh, conditions. And the, uh, let me see, seal, we got conditions, and the promises in Deuteronomy chapter 28 from verse 1 through till the end. Blessings and the curses. But the point for that is this. Blood seals stuff. The blood is the final authority. And last week when we talked about sex, when a virgin has sex, blood spills to seal whatever the marriage or whatever it is. That is what blood is for. So the, every time you think about the blood, just think about it. It's a final judgment or the final sealing. Or the final seal. There we go. The final seal. Got it. Very proud of that one. <laughs> All right. So what I want to do now is compare the blood of Jesus and the blood of animals. And to do that, uh, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 9 from verse 11 to 15. So we have a mic now for somebody who doesn't want to yell. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, 
having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? Thanks. So, one of the things you see there, he talks about what the blood of animals does on, and the blood of Jesus does. The blood of animals only covers sins, and that is the word atonement that you've heard or you hear if you go to church long enough. And to atone means to simply cover something or someone. So all they did was, and that's actually what you saw in Genesis 3.21, when God made the tunics and clothed, it, clothed the, uh, Adam and Eve. He just covered their sins. And it's not permanent. It's a, a yearly long forgiveness, if you want to call it that. Because every once a year, as he refers to here, they had to go to Jerusalem. The high priest goes to uh, the Holy of Holies puts blood on the mercy seat, and they're covered for a year. But they're still not perfect, because the blood of animals cannot make you perfect. And the reason, the main reason why, now, see, the thing is, when, you understand, when I'm talking about the blood, there's like a, something that happened before humanity began, and then what happened after humanity began. Because pre-humanity, when, if you, see, you see this in the book of Ephesians, it says that uh, the blood, oh, let me remember. What's that verse in Ephesians that talks about, it's coming, give it a second, it's warming up. Okay, I don't remember it, but the verse says this, uh, we were forgiven before the foundations of the world, something that, something that effect, I can't remember exactly what it says, but the reason why the blood of animals was acceptable to God is because Jesus already died before the foundations of the world. That verse. Yeah, I can't remember it right now. But that's why the blood of animals was acceptable to begin with, because Jesus already died. So all they could do is kind of, it's not like when you put a tape on a wound or something like that. It's only temporary. It's not a permanent fix until Jesus comes, and then he's the final fix, so we don't need the tape anymore. Now, this is the focus of, in the next verse is what I want to focus on here for the rest of the evening. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, from verse 1 to 4. And I will read this one, because I like this one. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with this same sacrifice, which they offer continually year by year, make those who, are, make those who approach perfect. For then will they... Oh, hold on. For then will they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers once purified will have no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats, bulls and goats could take away sin. And that verse, the first verse right there. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with this same sacrifice which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. And that's what I just said. The blood of animals was only a temporary fix. It was never a permanent solution. That's why the law is, early in the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer says that we have a better promise, we have a better covenant made of better promises. Because they had to do that every single year. 
And we don't have to do that anymore because Jesus already did that. And the reason, now verse 2 is probably one of my favorite favorite verses. Is it verse 2? Yes. For then will they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers once purified will have no more consciousness of sin. And a while back, some of you probably were not here, when we're talking about spirit, soul, and body. Uh, I'll just give like a quick recap. We are spirit being, we possess a soul, and we live in a physical body. And each part, the body, the soul, and the spirit, they all, they all have different functions. The body, you have the five senses. Uh, speaking, not speaking. Yeah, what are the senses? There you go. See, I knew you'd know it. The soul, you have the mind, the will, and the emotions. And the spirit, you have the intuition, communion, and uh, conscience. And each part, they all work together. And so the conscience, so I just looked up some definitions, the Greek definitions, uh, is to see or to have seen together with others. It's pretty much all of it is out to see, perceive, or comprehend. And that's what your conscience does. Your conscience is kind of a, a guide, if you want to call it that, that will direct you through life. And if you learn to listen to your spirit, that means your conscience, your intuition, and communion, you'll be, able, you'll be a better believer. Because that is the goal anyway. Living, when the Bible says walk by, walk by the spirit, not by sight, or walk by the spirit, not by flesh, it talks about, it, what it means is, no, not a different verse, be led by the spirit. I mixed up the verses. <laughs> That's good. Y'all know the word. <laughs> I'll just cut it out. <laughs> but it talks about be led by the Spirit. And it, talks about, it is the Holy Spirit, yes. But also your spirit. Because you, the Holy Spirit and your spirit have become one. So the only way to do that, and that's not the message for today. This is just another rabbit trail we're going on. The only way to do that is if, when you learn to listen to your spirit. Now... Go with me to Romans chapter 2 from verse 12 to 14. And what I want to see you here is what Paul talks about when he's talking about the conscience. I want you to see another, another verse talking about the conscience so you can understand it, uh, have a better understanding of what it is. Romans 2, 12 to 14. I'll read this one. There we go. 12 to 14. Mm-hmm. When people who have never been exposed to the, law, uh, to the laws of Moses commit sin, they will still perish for what they do. And those who are under the law of Moses and fail to obey it are condemned by the law. For it's not merely knowing the law that makes you right with God, but doing all that the law says that will cause God to pronounce you innocent. Verse 14, for example, whenever people who don't possess the law as their birthright commit sin, it still confirms that a, quote, law is present in their conscience. For when they instinctively do what the law requires, that becomes a, quote, law to govern them, even though they don't have Mosaic law. I'll go to 15, actually. Translation. To 16. 16. Okay. It demonstrates 
that the requirements of the law are woven into their hearts. They know what is right and wrong, for their conscience validates that this law or validates this law in their heart. Their thoughts correct them in one instance and commend them in another. So this judgment will be revealed on the day when God, through Jesus the Messiah, judges the hidden secrets of people's hearts. And the response to the gospel I preach, I as in Paul, will be the standard of judgment based on that day. I'm going to reread verse 15. For who, I mean, who showed the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. And that's another fun, that's what the conscience does. It will guide you through life. But the verse, this, in verse in Hebrews, for the worshippers once purified who have no more consciousness of sin. So now we know the conscience is what directs your life. It's what helps you make good and right decisions. But when, for the worshippers once purified who have no more consciousness of sin. See, one of the biggest effects of sin is sin consciousness. And since sin consciousness is pretty much this lies one from the enemy and from sin that tells you you're not worthy, you're not righteous, you're not good enough. So all those things that we've all grown up hearing from the enemy. Mine was, you're not worthy. No, was the other one. There was another one that always bugged me. But that's as a result of sin. And the day that we get born again and we fail to renew our minds, that sin consciousness will still weigh on you and it will, yes, you're a believer, you're going to go to heaven, but you're still dominated by sin consciousness. And the blood of animals, it can never get away, you can never get rid of it. One, every once a year, as we saw here in Hebrews 10, they will go to Jerusalem and present their lamb. And the whole way, you have your sin offering with you, reminding you that you are, not a, that you are a sinner, reminding you that you're worthless, reminding you that you're not good enough. All the wrong things about yourself, the whole journey was being brought up. But we, because of Jesus, we don't have to do that. And the sad thing is, we don't have to do that, but we don't know that we don't have to do that. We still carry the burden and the weight of sin consciousness. You see, sin consciousness is not just, I didn't do good. Or like, I messed up, or spawn. Uh, what's the other one? Greed. All the, I think the Catholic Church calls them the big seven, the, the seven deadly sins. The vices. See, that is part of sin, but sin consciousness is when it completely warps you from what God says you are. And the goal of this teaching, the reason why we're talking about the blood of Jesus, is because the blood of Jesus brings about righteous consciousness. And righteous consciousness is you believing what God says about you. So since, actually let's look at this verse, because it's before, I'm skipping down a couple of things here. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. I think we all know this verse, so let's just lay it out. Oh, there is no more for <laughs> oh wow. Still streaming. Who, there you go, Erica. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, that verse, when, I, when the Lord showed me that verse, it completely 
know, re- rejuvenated my Christian walk. Because up to that time, and you all know this, when, after you sin, sin, condemnation comes, shame comes, and you just don't want to be around God at that time, or anybody for that matter, depending on what you did. And that's what happened in the garden. Immediately, Adam and Eve ate the, ate the fruit. They ran away from God because they were filled with, with uh, shame and guilt. And that's, what sin, that's part of sin consciousness because now you're aware of I'm not good enough, I'm not this, I'm not this, all those lies. But when the blood of Jesus comes, it says, you are, I made you good enough. I made you worthy. And that is the mindset that we all need to start changing to. And the only way to get to that understanding is through like the, the vision for the group. The true revelation of Jesus or the true revelation of God. The only way we can have that true revelation, because when you have a true revelation of God, you'll have a true revelation of who you are. That's why Jesus was so confident. Every time the enemy came with one thing, he was not bothered by it because he knew the truth. And the truth is, we are all righteous. We'll be made righteous. I just want to read some things that I wrote about the blood. The blood of Jesus wipes our slates clean. The blood of Jesus gives me the confidence to say, I am the righteousness of God. The blood of Jesus gives me the boldness to stand before God and not be ashamed. The blood of Jesus gives me the confidence to look myself in the mirror and say that I'm worthy of God's love. The blood of Jesus gives me the confidence to proclaim and expect God's blessings upon my life. The blood of Jesus gives me the confidence to expect God to come through for me. And the blood of Jesus gives me the confidence to tell the enemy that you, you cannot touch me. And all of this is because when you start having a righteous consciousness, when who Christ made you to be is what dominates your thinking. Because it's easy, especially after you mess up. And two weeks ago when I sent you that text, I was right there. Sin consciousness was completely overwhelming me. And I was not, I, it, was a bad, it was a bad week in general. <laughs> and what, after that, after I got off this funk, the funny thing is, uh, we love the Black Panther. Rest in peace. <laughs> and uh, they're part of... <laughs> There's this scene where at the end where they go to see the Jabari and they have this moment and he's just sitting on his stone like, are you done? He does it better than me. <laughs> and that's essentially what the Holy Spirit asked me after me being in this, I don't know what state I was in. Just, are you done? Are you done sitting in this funk? Because you don't have to. You're choosing to. Because it's comfortable. It's easy. You don't have to do anything because walking by faith takes a lot. Because walking by faith, my, one of my favorite verses is Galatians 2.20. Uh, somebody read that. I, was gonna, I thought I memorized it, but I don't. Galatians 2.20. It says, uh, you got it? Go ahead if you got it. Here we go. It says... I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So that is the goal of our Christian life, being crucified with Christ. And that is hard, it's painful, and you go through all these ups and downs, but that is the, where we all need to get. And because it's that hard, we sometimes, me, that week especially, I didn't want to do all that. I just wanted to sit, be sorry, be, I don't even know. It was just weird. Watch TV all day, even though I know I need to be reading the word. 
because it's easy. But I, re I read this verse last week. See one of my favorite verses. Jude, only one chapter, Jude 24. I'm just going to read again. Whoever gets there first, you can go ahead and read. It's right before Revelation. If you, and it's just one page. Now to him who is able to keep me from, from stumbling and to present me blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Now, I'm just reading it. I love this verse. Because this is a promise that I hold dear. Because we have what? I'm 27. We're all in our 20s. I'm 30s. The goal is to finish the race. And this verse, every time I'm back in my funk and I'm just, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I remember this, this promise. Now to him who is able to keep me from stumbling and to present me blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. That's a promise that we all have. Holy Spirit will keep us until the end. Now in the journey till the end, go with me to Revelations 12, 11. Okay, I'll take this one because I like this one too. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. That first part, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Why did they overcome him by the blood of the Lamb? Because they believed what the blood of the Lamb did. The blood of the Lamb made them righteous, conscious. And they will no longer be weighed down by seeing consciousness. They knew, I am righteous. And in this case, since they're fighting the enemy, they knew they had authority over the enemy. And that is one of the biggest lies. The first day we had this, the first message I preached here, we went to Hosea chapter 4, verse 7. And it says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Because the devil can never go toe-to-toe to -to -toe with you because you're in Christ. He can't he can defeat you. What he will do is bring ignorance. And you see that in the garden. The woman didn't know. God didn't say touch. Don't touch. She added to the verse. So ignorance sometimes can be you think you know, so you add to it, or you just generally don't know. But either way, a lack of understanding what the word says. And if you don't know what the word says, then he's going to have you for mincemeat. Now, this is the last verse I'm going to share tonight, and I want us to do something at the end. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. I like this one too. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they preached, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with, with faith in those who heard it. The gospel was preached, but it didn't benefit them because they didn't mix it with faith. And they ended up perishing. They, they end up perishing. And that's what we all do, especially in this day and age, whether you have the Bible at your fingertips, you have all kinds of sermons around. And, but the thing that is lacking is faith to believe what God said. So I just told you we are all righteous. The first thing that the enemy would do was try to bring up all your past deeds that you did and say, there's no way you can be righteous. But I just have to go here because I love this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. But I'm going to read it again. For our sake he made him to be sin who, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is because of what the blood did. The blood of Jesus completely wiped our way, our old man. And that's what verse 17 of that same verse read. In, in Christ we become a new creature. And now what I want to do here in this, it's a little exercise that when I was studying this, 
I think I, I have done this. The Holy Spirit told me to do this before, and it was very amazing. Is once we spread out, I want you on a piece of paper or phones, because everybody has phones or whatever technology you have. I want you on one side, preferably on the left side, write down all the lies that you've been told that have been brought about by sin consciousness. And then on the right-hand side, write all the truths that contradicts those lies. The purpose of this exercise is to expose all those lies that have been bothering you or you've believed coming up. Because for me, like I said before, being unworthy. And I remember I was actually at work. I was still in Cincinnati at this time. And God has given me this big vision to do. And I was like, there's no way I can do that. I'm from Kenya. We, we don't see a lot of Africans doing big things. And I didn't realize that thing has been dominating my whole life. But then when he showed me, like, no, you ain't me now. And he showed me in the word who I am now. That's the reason why I can stand here and actually do this. Because pre this, y'all don't know me. I, I was not shy. I still talked a lot. But I, did, I didn't think I could do anything great for God. But that's the purpose of this exercise.